This is episode number 18 of Ships with Nina Hersher. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McCandrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. everyone welcome to the ships podcast today our guest is nina hersher who is the ceo of the digital wellness collective and founder of nourishing habits a resource center providing digital wellness counseling and educational seminars on best practices in productivity and self-care in the digital age Hersher holds a Master of Social Work from Washington University in St. Louis with a specialization in norms of connectivity and reconceptualizing human development in the 21st century. Hersher is an international speaker, oasis in the overwhelmed facilitator, dance, and meditation teacher. She also views digital wellness as the intersection of technology and mental health and is dedicated to consulting and coaching on tech life balance in an era of overstimulation. So we have a great episode today for you with Nina. We talk a lot of good things. Nina talks to us about the importance of productivity and self-care in the 21st century, as well as the fact that she studied the norms of connectivity in the digital age. We also talk about how digital wellness is a form of social change and systemic justice. Not only that, but we talked about the importance of habits and how we can support each other through our habits in order to connect us not only to ourselves, but to others as well. Lastly, we talk about the importance of regular check-ins with loved ones. It's a really great episode. I think that you'll be able to take a lot of information from this episode and put it into your own lives. So without further ado, Nina Hersher. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest, we have the amazing Nina Hersher. Nina, thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Pat. It's a pleasure. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. We got connected, maybe it was about a year and a half ago, and I believe it was through the Center for Humane Tech, and we were both doing work that was along the same lines. Yes, I remember that. And you were so kind to tell me about this tech festival in Copenhagen. And then one thing led to another and we ended up having our first international presentation together. Woo! (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It was was a good time. And it was a great festival too. It was really cool. It was. It was absolutely beautiful. So I'm really looking forward to diving into our conversation. I think our listeners will really get a lot out of what you have to say about all the work that you're doing and the different organizations that you've started and you're working with. And so I'm wondering if you could just start out by telling us a little bit about your background, maybe where are you from and what led you on to the path that you're pursuing today? Oh, that's a fun story. Absolutely. So <laughs> I came into digital wellness a little bit unconventionally. Um, growing up, I had a very hard time speaking and I was an only child. And between those two things, I think I spent a lot of time with adults and I really spent a lot of time observing and watching people. And when I was having a hard time talking, eye contact was really how I let people know I was with them. And I remember going up to my mom, maybe being about 10 years old and saying, mom, something weird is going on. I'm trying to talk to people, you know, I'm having a little bit of a stuttery time and they're not making eye contact and how are they going to know I'm trying to talk to them if they're not looking at me and I was a little bit horrified and a little bit captivated um, by this kind of transition and presence that was happening and that was 
the beginning of my kind of story and journey. And so when I went to college, I was kind of looking for that thing I was seeing. And the closest thing I could find was sociology and youth culture. And I remember, Pat, being in this class, I went abroad to Edinburgh because they had incredible courses in youth culture. And the professor was talking about the transition from landlines to mobile phones. And he was talking about how, you know, we used to say hello, and that phone was attached to a wall. And even something so simple as that informed the content of those conversations and what we really shared, because these phones were located in the kind of public common areas of the home. And then with even just the invention of the cordless phone, the content of those conversations changed. It became much more intimate. And we saw this transition with all ages, but especially with youth as it related to the development of technology, intimacy, and youth culture. And so I got really excited and I was like, okay, this is the closest thing I found to what I'm seeing with these norms of connectivity. And Mm -hmm. I was absolutely intrigued and When I went to graduate school, I was planning to have a private social work practice. And halfway through my program, Pat, I was was implementing this program at the Wash U Health Center in St. Louis, Missouri, looking at undergraduates' productivity and self-care as it related to academic achievement. And these kids were just coming in so anxious, overwhelmed, and it was really, really concerning. And, And so at that point, I was on the children and youth track in my graduate program. And I decided to say, okay, I'm just going to create my own research track. And so that research track was called Norms of Connectivity, Reconceptualizing Human Development in the 21st Century. And that's really what it came down to for me is looking at the ways that these norms of connection are reconceptualizing our development and our way of being with one another. Yeah, it's really amazing. And also like how fast technology is advancing and the impact that it's having on our brains and development. In your research that you've done, do you see that there has already been a huge change in how the brains of kids or teenagers, young adults are developing than say maybe 10 or 20 years ago? So we have some incredible folks in the collective who are actually looking at just that. And so I'll let them kind of speak to the more up-to-date research. But what we are generally seeing is that the ways that kids and youth are connecting and even adults is taking a little bit more of a shift towards them communicating in different ways. Um, Sometimes that results in you know, anxiety and troubles with socialization because so much of their socialization is online now. Um, But overall, you know, I think that a lot of youth actually have a pretty good handle on how social media um, and how technology in this kind of on-call world is making them feel. Where we get into that kind of tricky area, slippery slope, is that just because they know how it makes them feel doesn't mean that the forces around them aren't really strong and persuasive. And so we are right now seeing a really, really big spike in anxiety and research is showing that it is largely connected to social media. Um, We have an incredible member and researcher in the collective, um, Tracy Dennis, who is really, really focused on looking at teen anxiety in her emotional regulation lab. Wow. Yeah. And that's something that I love about the Digital Wellness Collective. We've had a couple of the founders on, and you're one of the founder as well, one of the spearheads in creating this movement. And it really is a great collective group of professionals working in the digital wellness space and trying to tackle this issue from a wide variety of different lenses. And so for our listeners out there who might not have heard the episodes with past founders that we've had on the SHIPS podcast. I'm wondering if you could explain what the Digital Wellness Collective is and also why you were very insistent on creating this type of organization. Absolutely. I can talk a little bit about how we formed. Um, And so 
how we formed was there was an incredible group of people who were petitioning Apple. Um, you know, about a year ago, Apple and Android came out with these updates that allow folks to track their time on their phones. And Android kind of had this outlook of, hey, let's all coexist together. There are other apps that do similar things, but that's wonderful. And Apple slowly and kind of quietly was beginning to shut down competitor apps. Um, and so for the folks who were already working in this kind of industry of digital wellness and tech life balance, this was really, really a hard thing. And so there was an incredible group of people that gathered to sign this petition um, to kind of address this topic with Apple. And Andrew and Kim and a lot of really incredible people were involved in that. And I, when I heard about it and I heard about this kind of Slack group, I was really, really intrigued because my training is as a sociologist. And I kind of got involved, I watched, and I said, who's organizing these people? And I collaborated with Kim and Andrew to really start to organize um, and kind of capture the momentum around this. And so the Digital Wellness Collective, which used to be called the Digital Wellness Warriors, really formed out of a need for the professionals in this space to support one another. And what it's become is the Digital Wellness Collective is now a public benefit corporation, which means that we have pledged to basically serve humanity in a quantifiable way through our work. And we are a network of digital wellness experts and organizations across the globe who are focused on this topic. And you can kind of think of digital wellness as the umbrella. And under that, we have folks with all of these different kind of subcategories. So we have folks who are focusing on texting and driving, technology and intimacy with couples, um, youth, mental health, um, what that looks like at colleges. We have some folks who are focusing on athletes and their usage of tech as it relates to acting and really being a team in the kind of athletic world. And so this collection of companies, if we really kind of simplify it, we have our educators and those are like our authors and our speakers and the people holding workshops on the ground. And then we have our developers. And these are the folks who are creating the apps and tools that are humanely designed that really honor the person um, and, and are human first. Because as a collective, we're very empowerment oriented. We're very healthy tech versus anti-tech. Um, and we believe that Technology is something that was created to help us, but it is up to us to tell tech what we want from it and to model our behavior of it for ourselves and for future generations. Right, absolutely. There's this emphasis on really educating the public and also taking ownership of our own self-discipline too, while still working with the big tech companies and trying to figure out some sort of solution. And it's really been incredible to see how large the collective has grown. I think when I joined, there were maybe like 12 or 15 members or something like that. And now is the number at 90 something or? Yeah. So we have about 57 companies who are working very, very closely with on collaborations. And now we're just over a hundred at the number of companies and positive change partners who we're working with in total. Um, and so these are the conferences and the folks who are really focused on bringing digital wellness to the forefront of the conversation. That's amazing. And you're, you're spearheading the movement. So we're very excited to have you on the ship's podcast. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. I, I do believe that, that this work is the most important thing that I can possibly be doing and seeing every company um, and really understanding their offerings as a unique intervention to addressing the challenges that come with digital wellness, um, I think is a really, really big task and will take a very large number of people to really address, which is why I'm so excited that we have this absolutely spectacular community. Yeah, absolutely. And 
Nina, there's also another organization that you had started on your own called Nourishing Habits. And I'm, I, th I think that this work pairs very much with what you're doing with the Digital Wellness Collective. And so I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners why you were inspired to create Nourishing Habits, why now, and what is Nourishing Habits all about? Mm, absolutely, Pat. So Nourishing Habits is my private consulting and coaching company. And it really focuses on young professionals in tech and on corporations. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately on how can we get corporations to really bring digital wellness into HR and into their trainings. And I think one of the answers largely is that we need to frame digital wellness in terms of mental health outcomes and productivity in the workplace. Because digital wellness is also kind of intricately tied to tech literacy and healthy technology boundaries. And so if someone you know doesn't quite know how to use a tool and they're spending eight hours on it when they could spend one hour, that's gonna drive anybody mad. So we're really, really excited to be working with more corporations um, and kind of framing it on how it can help their employees and it can help the company as a whole in terms of productivity when you implement a lot of these kind of digital wellness techniques. And so Nourishing Habits is all about maintaining and sustaining nourishing habits in the 21st century. And the two central elements are productivity and self-care. So kind of this idea of when you are plugged in, as we all have to be for work to a certain extent, are you being the most productive you can be? And that, you know, hopefully will also allow you to have more free time. And when you're taking a break in that free time, is that break effectively recharging you? And if it's not really looking at the activities that fuel you, because we really do want to view tech gear as something that can fuel versus fatigue us. And so these two kind of parts of productivity and self-care, especially technology usage in the workplace and at home are very, very intricately connected. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I think that nowadays with technology, you know, so many people say that we're the product of our habits and technology has a way of always pulling us in and always distracting us for better or for worse. And we get so accustomed to being in the habit of checking our phones every time it lights up, every time it bings, every time it rings. And so what do you think people can do to practice self-care in the digital age and improve their habits with technology? Certainly. So I have found that talking about this um, is most effective in the context of kind of culture change and social ecology. Um, and as you know, that all ties directly into justice, um, both personal and kind of cis systemic justice. And so when we're thinking about digital wellness and culture change, there are really three levels um, of social ecology. The first is the personal. So like what habits can we personally do um, that will help us to recharge? So an example of something might be taking 30 minutes when you first wake up to really implement a morning routine and to not check your phone for half an hour. And I find that this is really, really challenging, and sometimes it means I have to wake up a little bit earlier, but when I really take that half an hour first thing to ground and set intentions for my whole day, things that happen that maybe are a little bit turbulent or challenging don't hit me as hard, and I'm a little bit more resilient. And so that morning routine, that kind of unplugged, you don't have to check your phone first thing, if you do check your phone first thing, you know, you may go into this kind of state of fight or flight um, because there's always like that email that was sent last night at 11 p.m. And you're like, oh man, I really have to respond to that now. And the reality is that nobody's going to know that you read it right then. And it's perfectly okay for yourself and for others to respond to that half an hour later, unless it really is something urgent. And that's something that we kind of have to train our 
ourselves in is identifying what is urgent? What does urgent mean to you? And is it worth you entering that place as soon as you wake up? Or is it something that we've just kind of gotten used to doing? And so that's that's kind of the personal level. Um, next, you know, in social e- e- ecology, we have this interpersonal level. And so what does it look like to have habits and to interact with other people who are also kind of facing the challenges of digital wellness? And the biggest thing I can recommend here is whether it be at home or at work, creating a kind of like docking area for everybody to plug their phones in. And what this does is it helps with this collective accountability and trans transparency so that people know that that's where the phones go. Maybe they don't get brought into the, you know, kind of kitchen area, but having that space, creating a space to support you is the most important thing I could emphasize here because that space also affects everybody else at work and everybody else in your family unit. And then this last kind of level is the collective level. And so At the collective level, I've been having some really, really great conversations with Amy Blankson, another one of our incredible co-founders. And we talk about creating communication charters um, with your friends and with your family. And what this really means is saying, hey, maybe there wasn't technology etiquette before, but this is what works for me. So maybe if it's urgent, please call me because I will not be checking texts in the afternoon. Or maybe it's if you text me three times in a row, which I don't recommend, that means that it's something really, really crucial. But having the ability to articulate um, how being on call for technology makes you feel and what are the most practical ways of being in touch with your people and supporting them without feeling kind of depleted by all the like pings and things is really important um, for us to articulate and to model that behavior for ourselves and for others. That's absolutely true. It's amazing. I find that even just the littlest of changes can make the biggest of differences. And do you find that people that you are either training or, or working with through workshops, do you find a lot of resistance or a lot of hesitancy at the notion of some of these ideas? Do you think people are very hesitant to start implementing these practices, but then once they get into the habit of it, they see the value of it? Or do you think that for most people, they're ready to dive in right away? I think that most people have already identified that technology can be very overwhelming. Um, And I think it's up to us as as a kind of collected humanity to normalize the fact that we're not all thrilled by the tech around us and not to feel ashamed of that um, and to talk about it more because even just having those conversations will help to facilitate this kind of positive digital culture change. And I think that what people struggle with the most is kind of this communication charter notion Because especially in the workplace, um, if the company hasn't set out any rules or guidelines on, hey, you don't have to respond to your email after 8 p.m., it's very hard for people to kind of put in their email signature, hey, I will be responding between the hours of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. Because we do kind of live in this on-call world. And so... As much as people are comfortable doing something now and working on something much larger, I think that is a wonderful approach. In social work, we have this kind of framework of and, not or. So we can think of this as I want to eat a salad and have ice cream. It's okay to have both. And so maybe starting with something small and saying, hey, friends, please don't text me after 10 p.m. unless it's an emergency um, is a great place to start. And then maybe... Down the line, somebody at work goes to somebody else and says, hey, do you know if the company has any restrictions or like recommendations on when we should or shouldn't respond to emails? Because with every response, we're conditioning each other to expect that certain type of response in that certain time period. And so we are very much change agents, but I will be the first one to acknowledge working with this incredible collective 
um, of companies in 11 time zones that it can be really, really tempting sometimes to respond at 6 a.m. just because I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Do you think that with all that said, that a lot of people have trouble setting those boundaries for themselves? Like, do you think that they're afraid of what people are going to think about them if they have strict boundaries in place for their lifestyles? I think that some people are concerned, but that's why it's much easier to do this with, with a friend or with your whole family who's experiencing similar challenges. Um, it's that kind of strength in, in numbers mentality. And I think that people are craving peace of mind. And that looks like so many different things from putting your phone on do not dis disturb to really taking the time to communicate what makes us feel anxious. Um, and I know that like for me personally, having group texts running all day makes me feel really anxious. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's not for everyone. And so kind of talking about the different things that can cause us anxiety or cause us turmoil um, and then communicating with each other on these like subtle changes and almost digital wellness experiments so that people can see how they truly feel just shifting their habits. And I think that a weekend is always a really, really great place to begin. We have the, um, the 4th of July coming up. So most people have you know, that kind of chunk of time off is a really great time to say, hey, what if I actually was plugged in for two hours less each day? Or what if I create an unplug kind of like box with my friends and we put all of our phones in there when we're at the beach? Maybe we get a Polaroid camera. Again, it's it's very healthy tech, not anti-tech. So it's going to be a little bit different for each friend group. And that's perfectly fine. And that's something that I absolutely support. Yeah, it's a matter of figuring out what works best for you. And there's times where I will t talk to people about, you know, the work that I'm doing and the work that others within the collective are doing as well. And sometimes I will get the response that it really is just that simple. It's just a matter of unplugging. And that's basically it. So I'm curious from your perspective, is it as simple as really just setting your phone aside and taking a few hours to not look at it and really don't bother with it? Or are there more complexities with it? Or is it dependent on who the person is? I think it is dependent on who the person is and it is very complex. And the reason I say that is because everybody has a different threshold for stress and stress triggers are different for people. And so Instagram, for example, you know, can be a very powerful connective force. But for some people, you know, being sucked into it, seeing the fun that other folks are having can maybe make them not feel so great. And so I think, you know, the best recommendation I can give is to work with your friends and your close family to kind of get that dialogue going um, and really truly create an environment to support you. Because you know we can hold workshops, we can hold re re retreats where we teach people habits, but if they're not returning home, returning to work with an environment that supports those healthy tech habits, then it's going to be really, really hard to really implement them and keep them on a longer term basis. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, it, I find that it's a tough thing to sometimes talk about because everybody has their own relationship with technology and it's a wide spectrum based on their use and based on how much they feel they need to be on technology. And the best we can do is to really educate them and to give them a wide variety of different practices or methods in order to improve their overall wellness or well-being. And so I'm very curious as to your thoughts on 
what digital wellness means. Because with everybody having a very different relationship with technology, digital wellness might mean something different to, to you know, different people. But from your perspective, what would you say is your definition of digital wellness? It's a great question, Pat. And I also want to acknowledge that this kind of concept of digital wellness is very new. And so you'll hear a lot of other adjacent and connected concepts like digital digital health, digital minimalism. Um, you'll hear people talk a lot about like mindful tech and intentional tech. And so to me, digital wellness is this umbrella term that refers to kind of um, the optimal way of using technology that makes a person feel integrated um, in mind, body, and spirit. And if we're kind of looking at more clinical definitions, um, one of them is really the optimal well-being that each individual using technology is capable of achieving. And so this is, of course, connected to like mental health, your social life, your productivity. It's really connected to all things. Um, but that's one of the things I love about the collective is that we're defining this together and each company at its essence is a unique intervention and has a unique view of this concept. You're absolutely right. It, it's because of it being such a new field, we're all still trying to figure this thing out. And really the technology is still very new. And but it's made such a powerful impact on our world and on our society that we're trying to figure out the best way to take in all of the positives that technology can give us while trying to deflate the negatives at the same time. And so I absolutely agree with you. It's really this continuing process that we're trying to figure out. It is. And and I would be curious to hear from you too on kind of how you are defining the term with the low tech track. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the whole emphasis and really part of this podcast as well with ships is the cultivation of genuine, meaningful, deep human relationships. Because at least what I, I found through my experience is that there are so many relationships nowadays that are very transactional, very surface level, very superficial, that really are starting to lack depth. And I find that a big reason why that is, is because technology is always present, that a lot of times the our real life is an interruption from our online worlds. And so for myself and through the work that I'm doing, I'm trying to figure out how we can better connect with one another as human beings in a meaningful way and still still reap the benefits of technology. Because I think that technology is great for making those initial connections. There's so, like all the people in the collective, for example, I really probably wouldn't have known any of you if it weren't for online connections and communication. But I think it's important to bounce from that as well, to grow from an initial contact. And then also through people who you might meet in person, really finding ways to limit the tech use so that those conversations are able to reach a whole new depth. And so I come at this from a perspective as an actor and really learning how to do these things in a theatrical context, whether it's performing in a play, comedy or drama, what have you, and figuring out how to embody a character, how to embody their story, and then how to connect with a scene partner. And really, at the end of the day, it's a ref uh, when you go to the theater, at least in my opinion, is uh, it's a reflection of life. And so my thoughts are, how, I, how can I reinfuse that back into the real world in the digital age where technology is becoming more and more the go-to instead of a face-to-face -face interaction. Mm. That's wonderful. And what do you feel like people have the hardest time with when they're kind of 
digging into digital wellness and what that looks like in practice. Yeah. Oh man. Now I'm getting the questions. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think that people are very afraid to step outside their comfort zones. I think that that has always been the case, but now that we have these smartphones, we're able to be on them in any sort of situation where we feel comfortable because we're able to look at things that make us feel comfortable, that make us feel a little happy, whether it's like a, our Facebook, our Instagram, email, social media, whatever it may be, looking at pictures perhaps. And we're using our smartphones almost as a shield against the outer world that might not be super familiar to us, to other people who might not be familiar to us, even to people who we have known for many years, but we don't want to enter an uncomfortable situation or something like that. And so what I think is that people are afraid to step outside that comfort zone, even just to dip a toe into the water outside their comfort zone. I, I think that's been the biggest barrier that at least I've been seeing. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So with all of that said, I, I really love your perspective, both with creating the Digital Wellness Collective and then also Nourishing Habits on how making small changes every day can make a huge difference in the long run. And to kind of go off of what I was just talking about and what we talk about a lot on the SHIPS podcast and the importance of creating meaningful relationships, how can we use our habits to establish more deep and meaningful relationships? Mm, such a good one. So I view habits as kind of the grounding forces that connect us even deeper, even more deeply to ourselves and to one another. And so, for example, my morning habit where I do not check my email, my phone, anything for the first half an hour of being awake, what that really allows me to do is it allows me to check in with myself. It allows me to intentionally sip my tea outside, maybe journal a little bit, maybe talk to my partner and just connect. And there's, you know, that expression, you can't fill from an empty cup. I really view kind of this self-care and intersection with digital habits as as addressing that because if you don't feel grounded in yourself and your in-person relationships then it's going to be really hard to show up um, authentically and with energy to the rest of your day and whatever work that entails and so I do place so much emphasis on morning and evening routines and of course you know things come up and that's fine. It's not about saying I'm going to turn my phone off all night. It's about saying, Hey honey, Hey kids, I need to take one email. It will take me about two minutes. And then I look forward to talking with you more. It's about articulating because I know we've all been in that position where like we're talking to someone and all of a sudden they're not there. And that isn't a good feeling. And so placing the emphasis on the inner work and on the really um, kind of articulate communication and these charters and having that in your household, and that will look different for each household, I think is one of the most important things we can be doing to help ourselves and our loved ones to really support these crucial relationships. Yeah, it really is a matter of being intentional. I think that it's so easy to get off course. I know I'm guilty of it where I kind of let outside sources dictate how the day ends up going. And then I look on, on my day and I'm like, oh man, like I should have been more intentional with it. And it really is like a matter of setting an intention for yourself on how you're going to start your day and how you're going to live out your day. And then like you were saying, how you're going to end your day through a certain routine that you establish for yourself. And I think that that sort of intention or those kind of habits can work wonders. I completely agree. And I think one of the first things we kind of talked about today was this need for 
normalizing our feelings around the fact that tech doesn't always feel great to use (laughs) and also normalizing the fact that we live in a world where being busy is also, you know, often equated to being successful. Um, And that's not truly the case. And so we kind of have this inclination frequently to tell people, oh my God, it's such a hectic week. And sometimes it is. And sometimes we just say that because we don't want to deal with one more thing. And so, you know, even that alone is an indication of the fact that like, we're probably craving a lot of peace. Um, (laughs) And there's so much, you know, talk about sleep hygiene. I kind of coined this term tech hygiene, but even, you know, tab hygiene, like, are you closing tabs? Like if each tab represents something you have to do, are you closing all of your tabs at the end of each day so that you have that peace of mind? Like how can we possibly achieve that inner peace with all of these things literally open in front of us, each of them representing something else we want to look up or something else we want to do. So that's, I think, another really, really crucial thing to focus on. Um, There's a wonderful book. It's called Bored and Brilliant, and it talks about how it's good sometimes to not have something to do and just to be bored because that can really help to activate our imagination. And I think especially in your work, Pat, and, you know, really focusing on creativity and the arts, acknowledging that quiet time without something concrete to do is a really beautiful thing and something that we don't encounter as often. And so it really does become up to us to kind of create protected time to do nothing. And as weird as that might sound, it is so relaxing and so rewarding. And that alone is a form of self-care. Yeah, I'm slowly but surely starting to discover how important that time of doing nothing is. And actually talking about the busyness that you had mentioned, a few episodes ago, we had a theater director who works here in New York City. Her name's Ann Bogart. And she was talking very much about that, about how people feel like sometimes they have to say they're busy because like what you were saying, it's um, a form of success or perhaps it makes them feel more important if they say that they're busy. And I think that it should actually be quite the opposite, that almost success is leaving space in your day for yourself, for your family, for your loved ones, and really relishing in that sort of space that nothing is going on and finding the beauty in that. Yeah, I I would love to share this moment I had at our workshop in Toronto, if you're open to it. Yeah, absolutely. So we recently connected with Chris Willard, um, who has done some incredible work with mindfulness and children, and more recently has kind of been talking about um, being virtuous in a virtual world. And when we went to the Mindful Society conference in Toronto, the collective was holding a workshop and so was Chris. And so we went to really support Chris and become more acquainted with his work and listening to his presentation. And then, you know, hearing questions afterwards, something really important came up that kind of caught me off guard, which was this woman you know, was talking about kind of the introduction of technology into her children's lives and how her school had introduced her child to a computer and she really wanted to be the one to do that. And it really struck me. Um, It struck me that perhaps schools aren't communicating with parents on when they're introducing these tools in order for the children to be technologically literate. Um, And also that, you know, we can view usage of a computer a little bit like sex education in this instance where parents really, you know, oftentimes do want to be the ones to set those boundaries and explain how cookies and privacy works. And I'm not quite sure that the schools and the parents have communicated in that way yet about the importance um, of that introductory step. And then the other thing is I was talking with Anna, who runs the Digital 
well-being lab at UToronto, and we were kind of talking about what phones do for us and, you know, why even like infants gravitate towards them and why teenagers might want them sooner and sooner and sooner. And what I'm seeing a lot of, Pat, is that the kids want the phones because they see all of their friends have them, but the kids also want the phones because they're trying to talk to their parents and their parents are on the phones. And so they're viewing the phones as the easiest way to actually communicate with their parents. And that's horrifying and oh my goodness, there's so much tied up in that, right? But these things of technology boundaries and privacy and, you know, really communicating as, as a tribe about how we want to introduce all of these incredible tools to future generations, who are the appropriate parties, how can we work together? This is all tied up together in technology mindfulness. Yes, it's so true. Like, there are there is so much focus on kids and teenagers and for a lot of good reasons but it's very easy to forget that the parents are really almost just as guilty uh, when it comes to technology and really the techno- the power that technology has over them so it's fascinating that 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 was the case or that you were hearing that that was the case when going up to Toronto. Yeah, it was a really interesting moment for me to really integrate all of that. So I'm very curious. I want to be respectful of your time. So I just have one more question. Given everything that we chatted about today, about nourishing habits, about digital wellness, when you think of a genuine, deep, meaningful human relationship What comes to mind? What comes up for me is having regular check-ins with my loved ones. I've studied abroad quite a bit. Um, I travel a lot for work. And I feel that for myself, out of sight doesn't meet out of mind. I can really close my eyes and feel my people and check in on my people all over the world. And Pat, you are one of my people and I am so blessed to have you in my life. And I think that it is so important to have these regular check-ins, um, whether they're video chats or texts or calls with our people to see how they're doing. And to me, that's using technology for good and that's healthy tech. And I would actually much rather have a conversation on the phone than text all day because I feel like I get that kind of deeper connection. Um, But I think that, you know, blocking off time, communicating with our friends about like, hey, I would really love to catch up with you and setting aside time for that is also a really good way of showing each other that we care and that we have respect for one another's lives and how they're evolving. And so that's really what comes up for me when I think about the power of technology and the importance of um really accessing human relationships, which aren't just in person because we can't all be in one spot. And that's just one more reason why I love the collective is we have, you know, folks all over the world. Our our largest hubs are Toronto, New York, California, Texas, and the UK. And these people are just salt of the earth, loving, hardworking individuals, companies that come together to collaborate on these projects. And the focus is on using technology to enhance and support human relationships. So the low tech track included in that, I am just so grateful to have everybody involved in this journey together as we educate people about digital wellness and tech life balance. Yes. There's a a lot of good people doing a lot of good work and really the, the work that you're doing, Nina is very inspiring and I want to encourage all of our listeners, if you're not familiar with Nina and her work, to definitely go check it out. Nina, where are some either websites or platforms that our listeners could check out to learn more about you and your work? Thank you. So the digitalwellnesscollective.com is a great place to learn about the collective. And then nourishinghabits.com is a great place to learn about my work if you're interested in personal coaching or kind of talking about a more corporate presentation or workshop. Um, On my LinkedIn, there are a bunch of resources, including articles, but 
We also have just launched a blog for the collective through Medium. So there will be more and more articles coming from our diverse folks up on there soon. That's great. Awesome. So everybody, please check that out. And we'll include that all in the show notes as well. So that way they could easily link to those various websites. So Nina, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I, Like I said before, I really appreciate you t- not only taking the time to come on the ship's podcast, but really appreciate all the great work that you're doing, both with Nourishing Habits and the Digital Wellness Collective. I'm a big believer that this work is only going to become more and more important as time goes on and as technology continues to advance. So I really want to thank you for your initiative and your work ethic and making things happen. Thank you so much, Pat. It was a pleasure being on the show. There you have it, everyone. Nina Hersher, founder of the Digital Wellness Collective and Nourishing Habits. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you're able to take some of the points that she was making and implement them into your own life. There were a lot of great routines and habits that we covered in this episode, and I really hope that you take it to heart and really use them to bring your life to a whole other level. So thank you, Nina. If you liked this episode, please feel free to comment, post a review, subscribe, or if you have the Anchor app, please feel free to call in and leave a voicemail and said voicemail might be released in a future episode. So stay tuned. I would love to hear from you. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing amazing episodes with inspiring guests. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to hear from you all, and I will see you in the next episode.